thanks so much for joining us today for our very first Shaver Cancer Charity Chat. Your host today will be Roseanne Giovanato Shaver, that's me, uh, the Executive Director of the Randy Shaver Cancer Research and Community Fund, and my colleague and friend, uh, Heather Austin, our Assistant Executive Director. For those of you that aren't aware, we're located in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and we've been raising funds for Minnesota's cancer community since 1995. Uh, we became a donor advice fund, for those of you that understand what that is. Uh, we, we became one in 2003 and a full-fledged nonprofit in 2009. Since our inception, um, we've raised over $9 million. We're inching very close to $10 million. This year, we'll be over that. And over the years, our funding has been infused into Minnesota's cancer community, primarily supporting cancer research at the University of Minnesota. We've also funded some projects in the past at uh, Children's Hospitals, uh, Lina Hospitals, and currently are funding a very large, promising triple negative breast cancer project at Mayo Clinic. Uh, we also support cancer community programs that enhance the lives of uh, Minnesota's cancer community. You can view the entire list of this year's grant recipients on our website at randyshavercancerfund.org. Also, for those of you that are listening to this podcast and feel you want to reach out to either Heather or I, it's uh, you can just email us at heather at randyshavercancerfund.org or roseanne at randyshavercancerfund.org. Again, you can find all that information on our website. Um, so the other thing is the Randy Shaver Cancer Fund functions at a 9.8% budget or below. Actually, before the pandemic, we were functioning at a 6% budget. So that means that you know 94% of all that we raised was going right directly to our community. It stays right here in the state of Minnesota. This podcast will be posted on our website, and you'll be able to find it on Apple Podcasts. And remember, it's the Shaver Cancer Charity Chat. Well, today we have a very special guest with us to kick off our first ever podcast. He is the co-founder of the charity, and not only that, he is the charity's namesake, Mr. Randy Shaver. For those of you that may not know, everyone around here sure does, that Randy's been a fixture in local television news and sports as a sports anchor, sports director, and currently a weekly evening news co-anchor at 6 and 10 p.m. in Minnesota's NBC affiliate Care 11. What you also may not know, you live outside of this area, is that Randy has also survived cancer twice. He was diagnosed in 1998 with stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma, and once again in 2018 with stage three prostate cancer. Randy's treatment and current remission prove that this community and its generosity to research have made an impact on him and others like him. Randy's here today to talk a little bit about the charity and the impact that it's making in our community. Andy, thank you so much for being here. I know this is crazy that we're starting a podcast, <laughs> but you know. If people could only see the little tiny room we're sitting in, <laughs> I feel like I may not get out of here alive. <laughs> hey, this is gonna be great. So, in all seriousness, okay. let's start kind of from the true beginning of the charity, how everything kind of got started. So. The one word that nobody ever wants to hear is cancer. Right. Can you tell us a little bit about your story with your first cancer diagnosis and kind of the process, your symptoms, your diagnosis, so on and so forth. Talk a little bit about that first experience with cancer. Well, I think it goes all the way back to college. I had mono in college. And so 
1997, in November of 97, I got knocked out of work for about a week. I was uh, really sick, and um, I think that started the whole process. Um, Hodgkin's is a uh, disease that can start with mono. It can, you know, that can be the beginnings of it. And so um, after I got sick in, in November of 97 in, into 98, I was, uh, I could tell something was wrong. Um, that whole spring, I was having night sweats where I'd wake up in the middle of the night or in the morning, my t-shirt would be soaked. The sheets would be wet. I'd change my shirt, go back to bed, go back to sleep. Hour later, I'd be soaked again. And so this kept happening. And of course, I'm a guy, so guys are stupid. And we think <laughs> that we, th we, we can make up excuses for everything. And I made up all sorts of excuses as to why this was happening, whether I just had, you know, a cold or it was too hot in the room or too many covers or you name it, I was making an excuse for it. And um, it just finally got to the point where um, the day after our golf event, we were leaving to go to Yellowstone as a family. This was a big family vacation we had planned. And at that time we were raising money for Leukemia Lymphoma Society. And Roseanne um, wouldn't let us go on this trip until I went to the doctor. So I went to the doctor the morning that we were going to leave for the trip, thinking that it's going to be nothing more than a virus or whatever it might be. And um, obviously it wasn't, because as soon as I told the doc that what my symptoms were, I could tell by the look on his face that this was not good. Um, he sent me for a test, an MRI or whatever it was that came back that there was something going on he was going to send me for another test and he said you need to call your wife and I of course I knew enough at that point that that's not going to be good because they're all sitting at home waiting for me to get home so we right. can all jump in the van and go on this trip right and now I got to call and tell her that I'm going to go get another uh exam another uh, test for possible you know cancer and so I did very hard phone call she meets me there. I think it was an MRI, if I remember right, something like that. And, um, it was a CAT scan. CAT scan. And they determined that there's a mass in my chest. And so I remember the discussion going something like, well, if you want to go on this trip, you can. And when you get back, we'll begin the process of the treatment. And of course, I'm a guy, so I'm stupid. Yeah. And I go, well, sure, that sounds good. We'll just do that. And of course, she looks at me like, are you crazy? We're Get not out of going the car. on a vacation. Unpack. When we know that you're sick and we need to treat it right away. So long story short, I have to, I begin my uh, treatments like I think the very next day when I met with my oncologist, Barb Bowers. I had to come home and tell my boys, my mother-in-law, mm. that we weren't going on this trip. We had to unpack all the bags, put everything away. And uh, it was a heartbreaking day. There's just no doubt about it. It was, it, it was all, you know, just happened so fast. It was just so surreal. And so that started the cancer journey. And the one thing that I will give myself credit for is that I told my boys 
that we're going to plan a trip for next year mm -hmm. and you're going to be involved in helping us plan it mm -hmm. and so almost within the first week of me going through treatments we started talking about going back to Yellowstone what we we're going to do where we were going to stay all that because I just I was so devastated that we couldn't go on that trip and um, so we did and uh, I, I tell cancer patients who I talk to that when you begin treatments, think about where you'll be a year from now. Where do you want to be a year from now? And what do you want to do? Because that's what I did. And that whole year of thinking about that trip and getting in that car and going there was one of the driving forces in me emotionally and psychologically getting through that cancer was I couldn't wait to be better so we could make up for the trip that we missed in 98. And, um, and that's what happened. We did, we made up for it. This is all going on in 1998, your first experience with this horrible news. You, you talk about talking to your boys about the future, but ugh, this is a hard question for me to ask because I know it's not easy. How do you tell a third grader and a kindergartner that you have cancer? Well, I don't remember the exact conversation. I, I think Roseanne was too emotional to really say much, but I, I think we just basically told him I was sick. I mean, I, you know, to try to make up a different story would have been the wrong thing to do. Right. And, um, you know, Ryan was old enough to really kind of understand Robbie really, the only thing that Robbie really knew was we weren't going on the trip. He was probably mad. Yeah, I mean, he, it, it didn't really sink in. I think for Ryan it did. And, you know, Ryan was at an age where he was beginning to play baseball and mm. do things, mm -hmm. and I was going to coach. And, you know, there were some things that summer that I missed because I was too sick to get out of bed to go help him or be there. Um, so I think it affected him a lot more than it than it did Rob. But it was a hard conversation. It was hard because we physically had to take our suitcases back upstairs and unpack. I think that was like the visual that right. I'll never forget was having to unpack those bags. Right. So it was it was not easy. Okay. So getting back to the charity, and obviously your cancer journey has a lot to do with the foundation, the fund. Right. How did this charity start and what was your initial vision of it? Well, you have to go all the way back because I was I was asked to take over a golf event for um, from the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. They came to me and asked me if I would take over an event that was hosted by Steve Jordan, who was the former Vikings tight end. And they contacted me like in, I'm going to say, I'm going to guess this, but somewhere in like March and said, could you be our host for a golf event in June? And I was, you know, at that time I was doing sports, I was super busy. And, um, you know, I said, sure, yeah. I mean, I'd been to enough golf events, enough charity events, and there were so many back in the day that I kind of had an idea of what it was about. Um, so I did that. And... I remember 
coming home after it, I think it raised like $18,000. No, six. Well, six after, I think it was 18 total. <clears throat> but the golf course took a big chunk, and there were some other things that were happening. So it really didn't raise a lot of money. And I just, I remember going to Roseanne and saying, you know, if, if I'm going to do this, um, I think... I think we need to both get way more involved in would you get more involved? And I think that's kind of what got the ball rolling. And, of course, once she got involved, the whole thing just kind of took off from there. So so really it wasn't our vision to have our own event. That was never the, the thought process at the beginning. Obviously it was her vision once the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society decided to drop golf as an event for them. And I remember saying to her, well, I, I guess we're done, <laughs> you know. And uh, she said, no, we're not. We're going to do this ourselves. And I said, you're crazy. We're, we can't. We, I mean, we got two little That kids. wasn't the first time you've ever said I'm crazy. <laughs> no, Just like about the podcast, no, Randy. for the record, <laughs> it wasn't. But you were right, and you, and you did such a great job, and you made it something that, is beyond my wildest dreams of what it could have been. Um, and not just monetarily, it's it's more about the relationships that have come from that, that have made it so unique. It is a unique charity. It is not one where you give your money and you walk away. It is one where you give your money and then you you see what happens with that money. And I can't think of another charity that is as transparent about what they do than, than what we do. So did your having cancer have an impact on this decision to create the Randy Shaver Cancer Research and Community Fund as a nonprofit? I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think that, again, to be totally honest with you, it was more Roseanne's vision than it was mine. I mean, I was dealing with so much stuff in 98, and, you know, it's just, it was so ironic that I got sick a day after my golf event for right. the very thing we were raising money for. That's, I mean, that's very ironic. It just, it just, and, and that in itself pushed the charity to a whole different level. We were making more money for Leukemia and Lymphoma Society than we ever thought we would, really based on that. And then when they dropped us and dropped golf, it was like, how could you do that? We're giving you $400,000. Right. But they had their reasons, and we get it. But she had the vision of saying, all right, we're just we're going to do this ourselves because we now can, we know where the money goes now. Where before we really didn't know. That's yeah, not a did, good we, feeling. Yeah, we, we, we I mean... You do it out of faith that it's going to where it should go, but we never really knew. Well, of course, now we do know. And, you know, six, seven, eight percent budget. Uh, you know, everything is uh, transparent as to who we fund and why we fund them and so on and so forth. So I think it, in the end, it turned out to be the greatest decision that we've ever made. And a lot of it, again, was based on the fact that I was, that I got sick. Thank you for that. So the Randy Shaver Cancer Research and Community Fund actually just started out as a golf tournament, right? Back in the 90s. It was just a golf tournament. Right. It was a year 
round project mm -hmm. for Roseanne to, you know, raise auction items and, you know, <laughs> we, and we just did golf. It was all like in one day. So yeah. after the golf event was over, we would have a tent and then the, we crossed our fingers that golfers would stay sure. to do like an auction mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. We'd feed them and all that stuff. And that was kind of the normal procedure for golf events in the Twin Cities back mm -hmm. in the day. But then uh, Roseanne and I got invited to Tom Lehman's event. And Tom used to raise money for cancer charity through the Minneapolis Golf Club. And he had a Sunday night event, mm -hmm. which was downtown at the Hilton. And so he invited us, and I've known Tom forever, and I can remember we went like a couple of years. Uh, they had Chicago one time. They had Vince Gill sang wow, one time. Wow, big deal. Yeah, it was a big deal. And I can remember sitting in the front row uh, along the front and Roseanne leaning in and saying to me at the event, we can do this. Of course she did. <laughs> and I, I, and I, looked of course at, she said that. I looked at her wine glass to see how many she had had. Stop and it. I knew, Stop and I knew it. that there were, she had had a few. Stop it. But, I wasn't drinking then. But, you were, no, that's not true. <laughs> but the point is, she made the point, we can do this. And I was like, there's no way we can do this. We, we can't. I mean, in the terms of what Tom was doing, right. we couldn't do. It was but too big. It was too big. But a scaled-down version of that um, is what her vision was. And, and then, boom, it, she, she just said, we're going to do it. And we did. And I just watched her do it. Roseanne, do you remember what year you added the gala on that Sunday night prior to the golf tournament? Do you remember about we when that was? We were downtown the first year, upstairs. Yeah, at Bravo, the, a place Bravo. called Bravo. That's right. right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I would have to say it was curious. right around 2000. Okay. Um, yeah. it, it, it was not very long there, shortly thereafter. No, because when we moved to Rush Creek, Rush Creek didn't have a didn't have a clubhouse at that time. They, right, they had like correct. a pro shop, mm -hmm. but they didn't oh, have Oh, they didn't have anywhere house. to sit. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And so then they built this gigantic clubhouse, yeah. this beautiful clubhouse. And we ended up, you know, going there. We went to the Myth for three years. We had, you know, Ario Speedwagon and uh, all that. That was fun. We didn't have Vince Gill, though. We didn't have Vince Gill. Doggone it. Didn't have Chicago. But it was, it was good, though. We, th those years were really fun. And you know, Rush Creek's been so good to us, yeah. and they've been so, um, instru so instrumental. <laughs> yes, it is. Stay so tuned. instrumental <laughs> in, in what we've done. But and, and now Medina Entertainment Center has just been, I mean, to me, it's the perfect setting for, for what your vision is for that. We know how much it's evolved over the years, yep. especially, <laughs> Roseanne and I hate the word pivot, yes. pivoting to a virtual event in 2020 right. and coming back for the first time next year. So we all kind of know this, but let's share it with the audience about how money, how much money does this event raise annually? Well, I mean, I think before the pandemic, we were over a million dollars. Not yearly, but we did have one big year. Um, you know, Roseanne can speak better to that than I can, but the, the money, is, it's grown exponentially over the years. And I think part of that is we've expanded from golf. We were so lucky to have the football coaches come to us and 
the high school football coaches in the state of Minnesota come to us and propose this tackle cancer event, which turned out to be an incredible event. And um, I would say that we really took off thanks in a large in large part to to that effort and um, that's allowed us to be where we are right now so we talked about the golf event <clears throat> and you already kind of touched on tackle cancer and some of the other events that raise money for us we're gonna get to the um, more about the golf event later but aside from tackle cancer what are some of the other ancillary fundraisers that we have that help us out each year we have 5k um, which has been both virtual and in person. Right. Um, Back and in person this year. Yeah. Um, we have Takedown Cancer, which the High School Wrestling Coaches Association came to us a year after Tackle Cancer kicked off and said, we want to do something. And, and that's been going on ever since. I think this was their ninth year, maybe this year. Um, and they've done a phenomenal job. Um, Carps. Carps. Uh, <laughs> cancer. Uh, Good old Jeff. Jeff Carpenter, who runs his own golf event, but is kind enough to uh, pass those proceeds on to us and, and for what we do. Uh, we had Million Kicks for Cancer, uh, the Taekwondo, uh, uh, World Taekwondo in um, Maple Grove. The list goes on. And the list goes on. You're right. I mean, it's, it's wherever we can find partners who want to uh, do a shaver burger at uh, Rock Elm. Do a, <laughs> Good one. Or, uh, or, go. Jeff, or, or Jeff Mariko uh, out at uh, Moe's. Mm -hmm. um, we are all for that. So, I mean, it's just kind of, and you know, the, I think really, honestly, a lot of that has come to us. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like we went out to solicit them necessarily. They kind of figured out what we were doing and found us. So for anyone who's listening to this podcast that might not know or maybe be defecting from another charity because they don't know where the money is going, what would you say the main thing is that sets us apart from other nonprofits, would you say? Well, for sure it's the budget. It's, it's like Roseanne said, I mean, I don't know any charity, <laughs> zero that can say that 94 or 95 or 96 cents of every dollar goes to the charity. I, tell me one. Uh, I'd be happy to, to, to know one. I, I don't think it exists, at least in the Twin Cities. Um, and what that means is that everything that we do is donated. You know, everything is donated because the people that partner with us believe so much in the cause and what we do, and how we do it, and how transparent we are about how we do it, that they want to be a part of it. And they are willing to give up time, space, money, um, all of those things to attach themselves to what we're doing. And, you know, if you're, if you're in it to get something out of it for your business, you're probably not in it for the right reasons with us because it's really more about where the money goes and why it's important. And I think all of our partners look at it that way and say that. Um, so um, I think that's what sets us apart. Um, and I think that and the transparency. When you go on our website, we show you exactly where the money goes, how much of it goes to each researcher and what they're doing or each 
cancer uh, patient aid project. Um, again, I don't know any other charity that can break it down for you as to where your money goes. Well, that's all we've got for you, Mr. Shaver. Okay. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day okay. to come and chat with us. Yeah, thank you um, for taking the time to be here. <laughs> you should see the way he's looking at her right now. <laughs> You've never called me Mr. Shaver in your life. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> should I tell him what I really do call you? <laughs> no. No, we don't need to divulge. Yeah, that's right. You know, I wanted to, you know, I didn't want to interrupt you while you were speaking because, you know, you really covered so much of, of our journey, you know, well, your journey in particular. But there were a couple things that I just wanted to, to touch on, and, and the one was you were talking about how you were diagnosed. And I remember, this. remember now, this was 1998 when Randy had his first bout of cancer, and there was no true internet where we could look and Google this or that. Which wasn't a bad thing. No. Which probably wasn't. I think it's worse now. Think yeah. about it. But we did have the CD-ROM, Randy, that came with our computer called Ask the Doctor. Do you remember that? I do. It's like WebMD. And yeah. So, yeah. yes, it, it was kind of like, you know, you would get Putt-Putt Saves the Zoo, you know, and then you would get this other little CD-ROM, and it was Ask the Doctor. And I remember putting it in and putting in all of Randy's symptoms, and nothing came up good. It's not like typical cold, you know, bronchitis. Mm -hmm. It came up, you know, lymphomas, some other types of cancer, endocarditis, swelling of the heart lining. There was nothing that came up good. And so in my defense, when I said, we're not going on this vacation, I already knew he'd been dealing with this for six months. So how bad was it now? And I was so afraid. Uh, I remember multiple times telling him, you know, I'll lay down in front of the driveway before I let you pull out of this driveway. I mean, you have to go. And no offense, because he is a man, and I and not He no, admitted that himself. Yeah, he, he did admit he was a man. <laughs> you don't have to, tell him that. don't have to tell him that. But he, he was really, really not into going to the doctor. A lot of men are, and that's another... For, that's a, another, you know, topic for another podcast, quite frankly. But a lot of men just don't want to go to the doctor. And he was one of them. Uh, and we're sure glad he did. Uh, I don't know what would have happened if we had waited another month or two. I really don't know. Okay. Um, and then the other question you asked is, how do we tell our kids? Um, I know that's something we talked about earlier, and we, we couldn't 100% remember. But one of the things I do remember distinctly was Ryan calling me up to his bedroom. And I, I might get weepy here, but... He called me up to his bedroom and he sat me on his bed, third grade, my if you can imagine that, and he said, Mom, I need you to tell me the truth. Is Daddy going to die? Ugh. And I was so shocked. And he said, because I need to know if you need me to be the man of the house. Oh, I think I remember you telling me that. Little sweet and boy. And I mean, like, where did he come up with that? Like, for a third grader, an eight-year-old, yeah. right? Think about that. Where did he come up with that? He right. said, I want you to know I'll take care of you and Robbie. And he would have. And of course he would have. He yeah. still does he today, still does, right? yeah. And I, I guess my point in saying that is we have to recommend, you know, recognize, pardon me, that cancer doesn't just affect the person who's getting sick. Mm -hmm. It affects everyone around them, the children, the, the spouse, the caregiver, 
How many times do we talk about in the office? Check in with the caregiver. Make sure they're doing okay. I will tell you, and this is a fact, only one person in the entire time Randy was sick asked me how I was. Only one person. I remember that person very, very distinctly. And you don't, you, you don't realize, you know, when you call people, you go, well, how are they doing? What did the doctor say? What is this? You know, maybe just dropping off a, a caribou or a, a Starbucks next to their door and a car that says, I'm thinking about you, or, or letting them go to the grocery store for an hour rather than getting them groceries. I mean, sometimes people, especially with kids, they just want to get out of the house for an hour just to try to get their, you know, their wits about them. So, again, another podcast down the road, but that was something that I thought of um, when, you were, when you were asking Randy. Um, you know, that's, this is it, really, for our first podcast. Uh, we want to thank everybody for listening. Um, I hope you've garnered some insight into our life, and we hope you come back next time to learn more about the Randy Shaver Cancer Research and Community Fund, our events, researchers. We'll have a lot of information down the road. Um, we want to thank Office Centers for allowing us to be here today uh, to use their uh, podcast room. And um, as Randy always says, you know, thank you for listening to the uh, Randy Shaver Cancer Charity Chat. But his, his big line is, don't, don't remember this, doing nothing in the fight against cancer is not an option. See you next time.